Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and The Sick Doctor. Ah, you were waiting for him, weren't you? But it's not Ian. And it's me waiting because I like to uh, find out that my audio is settled down somewhat after that intro. Yes, it's Dave AC in the chair, and we all know what that means. It means, sorry Ian, we're about to have one of our classic episodes. Yes, the gang are here, well, a number of them, so let's, without any further ado, introduce those who've made it here on the eve of the 52nd anniversary of Doctor Who, where we're talking on episode 300, how auspicious about the most recent Doctor Who episode, Face the Raven. And this will be a review with spoilers. So if I forget to say it later, there will be spoilers if you haven't seen it. So uh, let's first of all find out who's on audio. And um, let's go to Rick Wall, who was in the room first, and therefore is top of my list. Hi, Rick. Hello, hello. Good to have you here. And uh, hopefully we can have a... An interesting show, and uh, glad you can take part in it. I hope so. And uh, uh, as always, I'm happy to be here. Brilliant. Uh, we've got uh, Jeff, yes, the Seventh Doctor, who has uh, pushed Ian over a cliff and is going to uh, help me uh, run today's show. And he just couldn't wait to take over that mantle of being the Doctor. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I smashed Ian's head into the console is what I did, but uh, glad to be here, and uh, yes, happy uh, 52nd anniversary to Doctor Who, and more importantly, today, happy birthday, Dave. Woohoo! Yes, the old man's in charge, sorry about that, guys. Thank you very much for that, <laughs> and uh, for those people who listen to this who are members of our Colton Collective our Facebook page, thank you very much for all the birthday wishes. Try to uh, at least acknowledge uh, each of them as they've come and it's been a lovely do. I've had a nice evening lunch out treated to a lunch at a, a, a lovely restaurant here in our local area with family so that was very nice indeed but sort of business at hand let's carry on we've also got Ken. Hi Ken. Hi Jay and a very wonderful birthday to you. Most Thank you very much. Thing. And I'm doing very good and glad to be here. Thank you very much indeed. We've got a voice, yes, a voice that's been trapped in the wilderness for some time. Well, uh, in the hearts, I can't even say it, that modulator that Ian's always going on from the Two Doctor story. And it's it's none other than the third wheel on the Colton Collective. It's Mike Randall Thor. Hi, Mike. 
Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone else in the courtroom. Lovely and happy have... birthday, Dave. Thank you very much indeed, Mike. Lovely to have you coming on the call. Uh, we know that you'll be muting when you're not talking, but we will be going to you for one news item shortly. But that is uh, that is your lot on audio. So let's see who's under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? Um, yeah. Under the cone, we have Symbios. We have uh, Ken's alter ego, Barman54, Mad Hal, Guest 8, Oshi, is that? Uh, and none other than the man who allowed us to start. Yes, he gave us permission. He said we could go ahead. It's Cybob. Thank you, Cybob. Keep that uh, little group under control as you usually do so well. As we head over to... Uh, I nearly said another. No, I won't. No, behave, David. It's our only monkey on the show. Not another monkey, the only monkey. It's Typing Monkey. Go, Typing Monkey, go. Okay, well, uh, we've just got one news item at the moment that uh, Mike's going to uh, give some information about. So over to you, Mike, please. Yes, over a bit over a week ago on Kickstarter, uh, Joel Hodgson, the creator of the... Oh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, which went off the air in 2001 or so, announced a new project on Kickstarter to bring back Mystery Science Theater 3000 with some new episodes. And within the first week of of the Kickstarter, it reached its its first its Kickstarter goal of two million dollars, and that mount fund three new episodes of the show. Mystery Science Theater 3000, with uh, a goal, eventually hopeful goal, to reach 5.5 million, which will allow for 12 new episodes total, and that'll allow the show to TV networks and hopefully get news, more new seasons of the show on TV. So we've got the, we have the first goal. Three new episodes are confirmed. They're being worked on in starting in January. In terms of hosts of the show, characters in the show. Of course, the characters, Tom Servo, Ben Crow, the robots, they'll, they'll be back. Don't know who's voicing them yet, but we know who the new host will be. First, we had Joel Robinson. Then we had Mike Nelson. Now we have Jonah Heston, played by Nerdist podcast co-host Jonah Ray, who I never heard of before this. But uh, Joel Hodgson was a guest several times on the Nerdist podcast and got along well with uh, with Jonah Ray and decided he'd be a great he'd be a great new host for this new Mystery Science Theater project. So we have that. They're looking for a new character to play the role of the the, the mad, as they call it, the mad scientist. We had who forces the main character to watch all these cheesy movies. Rumors are going around about who this may be, but no official confirmation yet. So that's the news there. New episodes of Mystery Science Theater on, on the way. Okay, thank you, Mike. And uh, Mike's just uh, phoning in from outdoors, so we've got a little bit of wind noise there. But, Mike, just before you can mute yourself uh, for maybe the rest of the show that you're staying on, do you just want to mention something that you're doing? I think you've got a little soundscape project going on at the moment. Is that still, uh, is that gone live? Oh, yes, that's been, 
Dave is referring to a project that I've been working on in Radio Free Camelin called Super Awesome Fun Time with the Rand. It's my sound collage project where each each one of these is around an hour long collage. It's well, what it says, a collage of sound. It's a move of audio samples, music loops, just all sorts of stuff. Uh, the inspiration for this was a, a long running radio show on WFMU from New Jersey called Last Ever Radio Extravaganza. Not our Ken, but Kinzo, Kingar, Kingaro. Uh, he did a project, a, a radio show, and that went off the air a couple of years ago, and I decided I, I'll do my own. So I've got 32 of those posted right now, and I'm working on the 33rd. And, and yeah, that's all on Radio Free Camelin, talk show ID 72402. 72402. Right. Okay, thank you, Mike. And uh, if, if you'd be kind of so with the, those little background noises, that would be great. Thank you for that. Uh, anybody in the room wants to just comment on that Mystery Science 3000 before we go to Andy? Love the show. Can't what? wait uh, for that to come back. It's uh, so beloved by everyone that saw it. And to have a new generation enjoy the fun of uh, riffing on films, uh that could be in the public uh, enjoyment. That could maybe lead to a series on television again. It would be nice. It would be nice if they had the reruns on. But uh, this is a great start. Okay, anyone else? Can't wait. Yeah. Um, on, Jeff. Oh. I'd love to see Joe Hodgson as the Mad. And they're looking for a new Mad. Well, it would be great to have him that, in that role because... He was the first host of the show, the the main character that was stuck up in space. If he he did get back to Earth in in the course of the show, it would be great for him to kind of stumble upon the the old lair uh, that the Mad you know, Doctor Forrester was in originally, and uh, run the experiments again. It, it, what happened to him just drove him mad, and now he's the Mad. So that would be great to, for that would happen. The other thing that I want to mention about that is um, they're going to have their annual turkey show uh, this week on Thursday, on Thanksgiving, on Shout TV, Shout Factory TV, excuse me, ShoutFactoryTV.com. So they're going to be running old episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on the air, on online, at ShoutFactoryTV.com all day on Thanksgiving. So you may want to tune in to that. Oh, brilliant. Okay, thanks for that. Okay, well, that's all the news we're going to cover today. Uh, we want to uh, focus on today's, uh, uh, well, certainly for some of us in the room, quite significant episode uh, of Doctor Who. But before that, let's hear how you can join us on any future Cultum Collective. <laughs> If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a tip client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. 
And there we go. And um, so from this moment forward, we're going to be talking about uh, the latest episode of Series 9 of Doctor Who, uh, Episode 10, Face the Raven, uh, that aired um, yesterday in a number of countries. A uh, slightly longer story, I think. It was almost uh, 47 minutes long. And um, with a, a new woman, female writer, Sarah Dollard, and... Um, that's what we're going to do. So there will be spoilers. I'm going to ask those people in the room uh, to perhaps refrain from talking about the next time clip, certainly without giving us some warning that, that you're referring to that part, because we do know uh, some of our listeners um, uh, immediately switch the, the TV off when we get to uh, the part of uh, you know w what's coming along next week. So please give some warning if you're going to cover anything in that part. And um, we've already decided that we're going to go. We're going to start with one of our brilliant, brilliant speakers, and that's Ken. Yes, Ken, I'm talking about you. I'm blushing too much. I don't oh, know. hang on. No, we're not. We're going to play a clip first, aren't we? That's yes, what we are. Say a clip. You <laughs> said to me, David, play a clip, lad. Don't make a mistake. It's going well. Here we go, and then we're straight to Ken. Roll, my dear. Hello? Clara, finally. It's Rickley. Oh, Rickley. Hey, what's wrong? So I have this, uh... It kind of looks like a tattoo. Seriously, I gave you this number for emergencies. It's an emergency, trust me. Just come and take a look at you, please. Who said you could give out my number? Look, look, no matter how bad it is, we cannot take you back down your timeline just to fix a tattoo. That's just it. I didn't get a tattoo and it's... It's counting down. Sorry, what? The tattoo. It's a number and it's counting down to zero. Hang tight. We'll be right there. Hurry. Please. And again, just before we go to Ken, we've just got Darth joining us in the room. If he wants to just check his audio, he can do so. And just to remind him, as well as everyone else, there will be spoilers here. But we're not going to be talking about the next time clip uh, unless you give some sort of extra warning at the end. But uh, Darth, do you want to just check your audio? We're just starting on the main topic. And I'm not hearing audio, so we're going to go straight to Ken uh, I can't type anything in the room to Darth because he's not yet in the chat room, but we will go to Ken. Okay. Uh, Face the Raven is a really pretty exceptional episode and really important in so many ways. It it starts out innocently. Um, Claire and the Doctor just come back from some adventure where he he almost married a plant, something like that. Um uh, and phone call comes in the uh, in the TARDIS, and Clara answers it, and it's Rigsby, a young gentleman from the Flatline episode, who is panicking that he uh, has his tattoo on his neck. Something's happened to him, but it's counting down, 
and uh, he's so panicked. This is like a call to the doctor and to Clara for, for help. Well, they come to him, and um, he's lost track of the, the previous day, and it becomes kind of a mystery, a mystery and a hunt of, of what's happened. He gets kind of a blur about events and a flash to to a dead body. Um, they devise that it, there's there's a city, a hidden city, uh, on Earth um, that's been there all along. Individual streets, at least. An individual yeah. street, an individual street that's filled with aliens, and this is an homage to Harry Potter, Diagon Alley. It almost looks like it's lifted. It's it's, it's kind of a charming, almost eighteen hundred homage. homage. Yeah, yeah, not, not a ripoff. Diff, very different. I would say you know it it's, it knows what it's doing uh, to it, and they devise where this is and they find it. It's like through a little slit in the wall, and they go in and Rigsby is people are, are shouting at him, murderer, murderer, and he's taken into an aspect of custody where we see our old friend Ishulda who is calling herself Mayor Me um, of this city of refugees very topical folks uh, we have the Zygon episode to the troubles in the world and we have a uh, refugee episode so Doctor Who is not if not topical this year thank you Stephen Moffat and um, we see that there is a code of law, order, and justice um, that Isholda now kind of holds with an iron grip. There's a dark quality to her, uh, almost an evil queen aspect. We we see a man who who stole something, and then he's uh, he has to die for this. And the way it happens, there's a uh, a spiritual raven. Uh, I don't know the exact scientific term to it, but a shade that will come in and and, and take his take his life uh, when the number drops down. Interesting fact is you can give up this death penalty if the other person is willing. He did it for his wife. The wife begs to take it on, uh, doesn't, and a very dramatic scene. Um, he's running, trying to get away, and he, he's taken by this this um, this raven, and it's terrible and it's frightening. And what? Um, go, go ahead. Uh, as you say, do you, do you want to t- tell us a little bit more about your reaction to these parts, rather than? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going. To. I just wanted to briefly do that. I, I really thought it was. Uh, Lushly done. I, I I I enjoyed all the the hidden alien actors amidst the human uh, guys. It, it was really 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 nice quality film quality, and there was an emotional intensity to try and help Rigsby through this, to try and save his life, um, almost establishing thematically what the Doctor and companion is all about. And General Louis Coleman and uh, Peter Capaldi were in amazing form in this. You really love the two of them here. 
which invariably makes this all the more heartbreaking. As as the episode uh, goes on, the hunt goes on, and revelations about what's happened. It's all a trap. It's a trap to get the doctor. It's a trap that some entity person or persons want him to be captured and taken. This was all meant for him. The doctor cannot resist a mystery, cannot resist it. And so it was almost like a, a great meal to him to come. But while this is happening, Clara in her good heart, and because things always work out, and the doctor always finds a way. And, you know, in an opening scene, she's very recklessly hanging out of the TARDIS, and that, that's so well done and and so cute. And, 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 and it's like, oh, my God, she's going to fall out. But the doctor kind of tilts the TARDIS, zaps her in, and she's acting like a kid on a, on a, uh, a Ferris wheel. Um, she takes the death penalty unto herself, thinking uh, everything's going to be okay. Time clicks down, and invariably, well, we don't think it's going to happen, because it doesn't happen on Doctor Who. It doesn't happen in this type of show, you know, without any foreknowledge. I mean, uh, this type of thing does not happen. Doctor saves the day. Something will happen. It'll be okay. She reveals what's going to happen. Clock's ticking down. Ashilda, who is Mayor Me, says, I can't do anything about it. Because it was a trap, no one was going to die. But because it was given, I can't reverse it. That's it. The inevitable is going to happen. Clara's going to die. And the doctor, in his rage, um, um, says, you don't know what's going to happen now. I am going to call forth hell on you. You know, the Doctor Victorious is rising again, and who knows what he'll do now. And Clara begs him, don't be the Doctor, because he says in his speech, the Doctor's not here. He's gone. I'm pitiless, soulless. It's gone. That's it. She begs him, don't do this, please, for her sake. You know, uh, don't don't do this. And uh, I cried at the end. Mm -hmm. She dies. It happens. And it's extremely dramatic. And Capaldi is is wonderful. It was not a complex episode. It was not something that would be maybe out of the ordinary if it had run its regular formulaic course uh, as, as it should have that the doctor saves the day and she'll be fine. But they did, to be very blunt, it was an episode, shit happens. Uh, She never expects this. And that's what happens when you get into the TARDIS. That's what happens when you endanger. And for the moment, and not knowing anything of the future, Claire is dead. Now, this is to be continued, because at the end... The doctor in a manacle, and it's a, not a manacle, excuse me, it was a teleport bracelet, is being sent somewhere. Now, where that is and who is involved, we have two more episodes that are going to tell the tale. Right. Let me stop you there. First of all, because I don't want you to talk about the last bit, but um, two reasons. I thought this was almost, uh, you know, um, we've had all these two parters, and we had 
Uh, obviously, the story last week uh, that we talked about Sleep No More. Uh-huh. And this broke the mould in a way because it wasn't a continuation of that story. Um, but it then appeared to me, uh, watching it, because I had kept very clear, I suppose, uh, and I would suggest most of our listenership would have kept clear of the very wonderful wiki pages where there's information about them, but they would have kept clear of it before. I thought, oh, <clears throat> this must be another standalone story. You know, we've had uh, right. three, three, three two-parters, then two standalone stories before we get to the two-part climax. I, I was quite surprised when I checked the wiki page today, and I put the link in the room a couple of times. It does, in actual fact, say first of a three-part story, which yeah. which surprised me somewhat. And it, and um, it seems like and, and it's, it's in a way, sense it's self-contained, but it's it's leading to it, it's leading to. Right, you mean a little bit like we had with the where Utopia was like we counted it as um, you know before the drums ones we counted it. Yeah, I was I was thinking uh, of that. I was thinking of that. Right, that 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 led to uh, you know the. The new yeah. master, the Derek Jacobi master. Right, because it, it brought Saxon back, didn't it? So, yeah. yeah. But it, it it goes to the epic quality. Um, something about Maisie Williams on this. Um, love her in Game of Thrones. I, I think she's just top-notch and just brilliant. And she's kind of maybe one of the core aspects of that show that make it watchable. I thought she was okay for two episodes. I really liked her here. There was a kind of cold stillness and and manipulative attitude and uh, she seemed much more mature. It was, kind of, again, kind of evoking Wicked Queen out of a Disney story. Uh, her garb and the, the tattoo attitude on her, the filigree that she had on her skin, which, which uh, became the aspect of the raven. It was like very, very menacing. But saying that compared, I mean, you know, Jenna, you want to get up and applause, you know, so heartbreaking. And the way she handled it, it was so, the thing that got me about it, it was so real. You have something that you'll go, well, it fits the need of the 60 minutes or so fitting within the time. And and you get the attitude of of that it's technical and all of this, it 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 felt just so right. And her 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 acting, you know, there there was nothing false, nothing false in this. I am so looking forward to uh, the next episode, and in what in invariably whatever it's going to be, and um, really applaud them for for something if if this stays as it is because. What what is the aspect of someone who can go through time and space, and the thing of death? Will she invariably have a happy? Is this the final episode with her? It seems to be, but you know we 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 saw um, Rory die, you know, and you know, but I I, I sense the finality here in this, and it it's striking. That if you take her entire story cycle, what a terrible but noble way to go, because of how she faced her death and 
what she meant to the doctor, which is also a question of the doctor alone. Oh, boy. Because yes, she's the one responsible for Gallifrey still being. He would have done it. It was her heart that moved. And I that's why... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, I was going to say, that I think also this is will help weave in the fact that they've they've started, as we've noticed, having episodes where we come in on the end of an adventure. So we we know that her time of bonding with the Doctor has been, you know, much longer than what we see on screen. Right. You know, they could have had uh, uh, adventures untold. Um, you know, she's seemed to have matured before our eyes from, from uh, I mean, one of the things that we, we had with Amy and Rory, wasn't it? It was the fact that, you know, they were almost worried that the friends were beginning to might begin to notice that they've they're yeah. aging. You know, they're going away yeah. for a week and they look a year older. And um, here we have Clara, who was sort of barely twenty or whatever it was, uh, and now sort of he- heading towards the thirty yeah. mark within three years. So I feel as though she's had those adventures. I well, agree with you about the uh, the Maisie Clara actor being better. Uh, she's taken on that mantle of you know the year uh, she's portrayed the fact that she's lived all this time therefore uh, this unquestioning obedience that these people you know may look to her uh, as their their leader and obviously she's a, a oh i was a i was hating, i was hating her character it's like look the doctor saved you and this yeah. is the inevitable fate after the kindness well she also said that in the last time we saw that she was she was going to protect her from the doctor, didn't she? She was going to be a counterbalancer into his yang. Yeah. But um, having said that, although I did feel as though she was acting better in this, uh, that was, for me, completely overshadowed by Jenna's uh, yeah. acting and the doctor's. But So it was a pity that her best acting to date was overshadowed by a, a bit of a masterclass in the same episode. Yeah. What do I um, do? Well, oh, sorry. Um, no, go ahead. I was just saying, I'll play another clip and then give you a chance to uh, summon up any other thoughts you want to add. And well, I, I just want to say something in contrast okay. here on something. Something that I thought was so striking about her passing, uh, if you had not really known and if you didn't know this was it, because I was, I was accidentally spoiled, like maybe, maybe uh, I think Ian might have been, that you know I saw somebody put on Facebook, R.I.P. And I went, oh, crud, you know, for for a header before I'd seen the episode. And I went, darn, because I didn't know. I mean, knowing she's going to leave, but I didn't know. Is she going to die? Because Ian was upset that he was Yeah, is she going to die? Else? Is she just going to leave? Is it going to happen at the end of the season? Is it going to happen at Christmas? I didn't know. So I was annoyed that, you know, that was spoiled. But that's that's the price you take for looking on Facebook. Well, you there's know, a spoiler that, on Graham Norton as well. Um, yeah, I had uh, heard that. He, he, he poked a folder to, uh, to to say a few things. He didn't out, out and out come out of it, yeah. but he, he did say it was a very sad melancholy. Yeah, play a clip and then I'll, I'll get to uh, wrap up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You. How do you know this man? Hang on, you did this to Rigsy. What have you done? This man committed a crime. I sentenced him. sentenced him. I also gave him enough time to return home and say goodbye to his family. You flooded his brain with retcon till we showed up. He didn't even know that he had to say goodbye. I'm afraid no intruder leaves this place without a memory wipe. With respect, that 
will include you. Oh, the hell it will. The Shield Act. Given that we're all going to forget this conversation anyway, perhaps you could tell us what happened here yesterday to necessitate a death sentence. Fine. I'll show you. Mr. Cable? Mr. Rump? Commit the entry. No. You've already endangered one of my friends. I want you a personal guarantee that you will not endanger another. Shut up. I can handle myself. I guarantee the safety of Clara Oswald. She will be under my personal protection. That is absolute. Yeah, that word absolute. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, the orchestral, uh, uh, the ma- uh, mix of uh, instruments there, very unusual, I thought. Slightly yeah. discordant, but slightly menacing. I thought it was brilliant behind it. Anyway, go on, Ken. Um, we've had at times when a companion or even when a doctor is leaving and David Tennant's uh, view or, or when... Um, Donna left, or Rose, a sense of dark premonition. There was a build-up, you know, uh, to it. With this, this season, if you didn't know any better, it was just Clara's with the doctor. That's it. So that struck me as just being something unique and terrible at the same time, that it was just mirrored, that's how it happens in life. Somebody's there someday, and they get hit by a car, and boom. And this was of her own making, out of her good heart. And it fouled up, and it ended her life. And she took responsibility for it. Yeah, yeah. But how noble, and just how, with such grace. And I give it four and a half out of five charges groans. And can't wait for next week and the rest of the season and beyond. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go straight to Jeff, uh, if we may, and then I'll, I'll play a clip after Jeff wants to. Jeff? Well, you know, I, I have some issues with this episode. It, it's very powerful episode um, with Clara dying in this story and I've always loved the Clara character um, I, th- I think Jenna Coleman's a just a brilliant actress and it, it's sad to see her go um, I, I don't have any foreknowledge I'm hoping we have at least a scene or two in the next two stories um, with her maybe it's a flashback or or something to that effect um, I, I'm hoping we haven't seen the last of her in Doctor Who yet. Um, it, it just seems kind of flat to do it now. I, I, they probably did it as a, so it's a surprise in this story. Uh, it, and it's good, I think, to see a three-part story. It, it does seem very much like we're having a three-part story again. We haven't had that since Series 3, um, and, unless you want to count... Uh, the whole Matt Smith era, which seemed to be one big story with some some others mixed in, some standalones mixed in. But um, yeah, I have some issues with this. First off, my biggest issue with this story is this seems to be Series 8, 12th Doctor, very much so. Uh, and I didn't care as much for that version of the 12th Doctor as 
in Series 9. Series 9, he's much more personable. Um, he, he, he seems to be uh, calling people by their, their names, their real names, for the most part. He seems to be more caring, uh, just more of the doctor that we, we have grown to be accustomed to with the new series. Um, here he's, he's calling Riggsy the local knowledge, and he's calling his baby the new human. It, it just seems like he's bringing back some of that eighth series, uh, twelfth Doctor, which I didn't care story. as much for. Did that in the Viking yeah, he, story he, he, where he called them all he, different names, Dog in the Nod and all this kind of stuff, Shorty. I, I agree with that, Dave. I, I think that was more for comedic value. And uh, that that was the part of that story I liked the least. Um, again, you had more of that eighth series, twelfth uh, Doctor there, but but I think it's much more prevalent here. It, it, it's sprinkled throughout the story. Where there, you it was just in a couple of scenes, I think. Um, so I, I I could handle it more there. I didn't care for it, but here it's kind of all the way through the thing. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they made the leap of logic to look for these streets that these trap streets that really they're on the maps, but no one knows that they're there other than via the maps. So they go and look at the maps to see where these streets might be, and then they take a flight in the TARDIS to to try to find where this street is. it didn't make a lot of sense. I, I think they needed to expand that a little bit. Uh, the this, this story almost seems like it could have benefited from being a 60-minute special, especially with the, um, the, the content that we have with uh, a major character passing in this story. I, I, I think they needed time to, to breathe and expand that a bit and fully explain of what exactly was going on there, how they, they came to the conclusion, well, there must be a hidden a part of the city that uh, no one can find, and boy, if we if we go up in the TARDIS and fly around, we can find it. How, how did they make that jump? Well, I suppose uh, that it was how far the young lad could have traveled in the one day he had missing. Right, but, but why was it something that they could easily find just flying around in the TARDIS? The, and, and then well, they've got it narrowed down. Now they're going to look around in that area of, of the city. She had the specs on. She had the doctor's specs on. I, I realize that, but how did they come to that conclusion? Well, this is what we needed, need to do to find this place. Uh, I don't think that was fully fully expanded upon. Uh, it needed more time. Okay. Um, it, I also don't like the, the, the explanation at the end where... Well, can't Riggsy give the tattoo, get, get the tattoo back from Clara? It was so easily given from him to her, why can't it go from her to him? They just said, well, you can't. Because she had, uh, she had to give it, would have had to give it willingly, and she wouldn't give it to him back because had a, he had a wife and a daughter. But that, that, they even asked that question. Well, why, why can't I just give it back to him? So it sounded like she was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. Why couldn't they do it? I thought she said when Rigsby started to say it, didn't Clara say, "Don't start that. You've got to. What would happen to your life and child if you didn't come back?" 
but but at that point in the story, they they wanted to do it because they figured, well, that would validate the contract again, and then it could be taken away from from Rigsy. Anyway, yeah, uh, so I, that wasn't fully explained, and I, I really don't understand the whole contract part of it. Um, when Clara did take the tattoo, why was the contract that part of the contract invalidated, but the part about the doctor uh, being sent off to wherever he was sent to? still be valid. If one part of this contract is invalid, why isn't the whole thing invalidated? Uh, that didn't make any sense to me. Well, yeah, the other part... Oh, go, go ahead. Well, she'd, al ahead. she'd already, in effect, done that. The, uh, the, trans the, uh, the transport porter thing was already on the doctors, so they couldn't, she couldn't presumably undo that part of the contract anyway, because that was already sealed. Was it? Well, he, could she could she could she get he, it off of him? He couldn't. He, she didn't have that. Yeah. But no, she said, I believe she said that she couldn't do it either. Um, um, I could be wrong, but I believe she. she you know, the the doctor looked at her after he said, "I can't get it off," and she said something like, "I can't take it off either." Then Again, why do we have the whole? Then why do we have the whole speech about the doctor saying, "Well, he's not the doctor anymore, and he's uh, going to take revenge essentially on a shoulder and the whole oh, well, that, community there"? Problem. And that means whenever whenever he's taken to wherever he is, and when he's dealt with that threat, then she better watch out because he'll be out gunning for her. But exactly, uh, and 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 he tells her you're you're going to fix this, and and Clara kind of backs him off. the The whole contract just just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It, it, if if one part of a contract is invalidated, the whole thing is invalidated. So at that point, uh, the doctor should have been freed. Uh, just little niggles uh, that I have trouble with. Uh, the, and we see the confession dial here, which uh, I knew when when we saw it in the first story, it was going to come back. And I wonder why Ishildur took it. Is she somehow going to give this confession dial to whomever has trapped the doctor, has taken him away? Or, yeah. But why did she take it? Why didn't? Why wasn't it taken when he was taken? You mean all his, all his purse? It would have gone with him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So how's that dial going to go to whomever is supposed to have it? So she must have some sort of connection with them. Right. That may be a I, point I, going forward in into another story, of course. It's possible. But I'm really interested in seeing what's in that confession dial. And I have some suspicions on uh, who's behind this all. Uh, I've not seen any spoilers for the next two stories, or the next two episodes. Uh, but in my opinion, uh, it, it's it's Missy. Huh. 
She was very uh-huh. interested in that confession dial uh, in the first story, and I think she still is. I was thinking it might be that Legion chap, the snaky one, but, and I've not seen any spoilers. That, that's possible, and and Davros and the Dalek—they might all be intermixed with this in the, uh, which is uh, familiar. Missy is saying, "Well, I have a plan." Basically, at the at the end of that story, and she's telling the Daleks that, so they may be hatching something there. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen there, but and I'm excited to see that in the next two episodes. Um, I, I I thought the whole scene with Clara dying took too long. It almost felt like the end of time, where we see the tenth Doctor dying. It. It just seemed like it was prolonged. It was in slow motion almost. Um, the 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 raven took forever to get to her, and I know they probably did that for dramatic reasons. It it just didn't feel real to me. Uh, I almost thought she was uh, going to live once once the raven had hit her. It, it just took forever for her to have that black stuff come out of her. And for her to fall over, basically, um, I, I thought she was going to live. I, I really did. And I, I've seen some people say uh, online, "Oh, I thought she was going to regenerate because she had her hands out." I, I wasn't thinking that personally, but I, I almost thought that somehow she was going to survive this. And so, I. I that that part I praise because I didn't know what was going to happen, but it all just took too long. It, it was just too prolonged, and maybe they could have used a little bit of that time for some of these other plot points that I thought were not I, I expanded thought, uh, on enough. Holding her hands out was an acceptance, a sublimation, a, an acceptance of her fate. Uh, that, that's how I interpreted that, and it it wasn't that much more protracted than. The, the the man who actually turned out to be a Cyberman, the one that was accused of stealing, uh, you know, he ran away and he was pursued, and he 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 was the Raven entered him from the from his back, and, and he went down to kneel, and then eventually, uh, as he exhaled, this came out. So I didn't think it was overly extended to that, but of course, as you say, this was the emotional climax. This is where me and Ken were really upset. By uh, and, oh, I, I, I was I was upset too I had tears so uh, I'm sad to see the character go I'm sad to see the actress go uh, she's a brilliant actress and uh, um, it, it really had that emotional punch uh, for her to go this way um, for, the, for that for that it raises the episode up a bit uh, but there were some other niggles in there that, uh, that I had issue with. And so I'm kind of giving it a mixed review, uh, probably somewhere around a three and a half. Uh, if they had patched up some of those niggles, you know, it would be a solid four and a half. But uh, those things drag it down a bit. But okay. that's what I thought about the, the episode. Okay, well, the, the, those we've got a few people the people listening to the recording later. We've got a few people in the room without audio. I'm hoping Jeff will keep an eye on a few of those, and when there's a, an accumulation of them, perhaps read them out for them. And I will at some will point do. go. Thank you. Uh, at some point, I'll go to the Facebook page and read 
some of the things that Jeff and Colin and uh, uh, other people, David and Ian, have put up there. Uh, let me play another clip and then we'll go to uh, Rick. Thanks for waiting, Rick. i just play uh, a little clip. Are you sure it wasn't someone from the street? I've told you already there wasn't anyone up that end of the street except Anna and the human. I've identified 27 different species on the street so far, 15 of whom are known for aggression. Why is it so hard to believe that one of them is capable of murder? Capable of murder, yeah. Capable of killing Anna. No. Why not? What's so special about her? It was the way she looked at you, like she understood. One glance into your past and she felt it all. Every battle, every loss. So you just want the human dead, is that it? You don't get it, do you? If the human didn't do it, that means one of us did it. Which means folks start pointing fingers, turning on each other. And once we turn on each other in here, that's it. I might as well be back in a war zone. So you'll just let Rixie die? To keep the peace? Yeah, I will. Your friend acting like he was all scared of us, calling for a doctor. What? I know. The cheek of it. Humans can survive losing entire limbs. And I'm supposed to believe that he... Shut up! Shut up! The other thing he said, the second thing, what, 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 you said he was scared and... And he asked the mayor to call him a doctor. Poor Anna, dead at his feet. Did he say a doctor or the doctor? This is very, very important. The doctor. There was nothing wrong with him, mind you. It was all just your standard human life. Okay. Uh, Rick, please. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I was... Daydreaming. Uh, we're, ra- we're raving for you to speak. <laughs> well, um, okay, um, couple of things that um, uh, um, I didn't get uh, for some reason. Um, yeah, okay, I understand that um, um, me. Uh, made the streets um, secret or separate or whatever uh, because of what was going on with the Zygons. But um, uh, weren't there Zygons on the street too? Well, well, first of all, I don't think she did it. I think that was that was why she was paying this tribute. She didn't have the skills to do this. That was her pack. That was her pack to 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 have this secret the, the whatever was provided the the magic or mystery or the science to produce it for instance things like the um the, the those worms the lurk worms that were providing the light and the appearance of people being human uh, i don't think they were something they were what she bargained for and the, the price for that bargain was to get the doctor uh that's the way i read it um but i can't remember seeing that particular species no Saw Cybermen, saw Jadoon. That was rather good, by the way, the, the two policemen with the Jadoon. So yeah, that was, yeah rather that was good. <laughs> um, um, right. But uh, I liked it. Um, interesting um, um, concepts um, um, of, of the, you know, of the sanctuary, as she called it, me, that is. Um... I disagree with you and Ken about the acting. I liked her acting from day one. Um, oh, I have, yeah. Oh, which one are we talking about? Um, May- Maisie Williams. Maisie. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, I don't think she was bad. I just wasn't wowed. 
I thought, I thought she was good. Underwhelming, underwhelming. Yeah. I liked her so much more in Game of Thrones. I I thought she had length and bounds better in this episode. Sorry. To I think that. she was under. I think she was underused in this story, and I think Riggsy was also underused in this story. But uh, Riggsy was just the Dewey Machina, really. Um, but um, any, I you think he was meant to be. Um, but uh, you know, I uh, I don't know if he's doing this willingly or she really is evil or whoever she's working for or with, uh, I guess with since she said it's a contract, quote unquote, um, is, is really turning evil or is even evil to begin with, you know, um, but, um, I don't know. It was. I personally liked um, uh, um, Clara's death. I, I thought it was pretty noble. Um, and yes, Ken, I cried like a baby to answer your question from <laughs> earlier. <laughs> uh, I, I talked to him earlier before. Uh, the podcast, and he asked me, and I told him I wouldn't tell him till now. Uh, but um, let's see what happens. It, it is, you know, maybe the other. I have some questions. That's why I'm stumbling at the moment. Uh, like uh, Jeff, maybe the other two episodes will tie up everything. Uh, so let's wait and see. And I didn't see any clues in next week's that will close up any uh, um, any questions I had personally, but we'll see. Okay. Um, Rhett, did you say a rating or not? Uh, I'll give it a 3.5. Okay. All right. Um, I just want to, I'm going to play a clip, but just before I play a clip, uh, welcome guest time. We will allow text chat. We, uh, we always... Um, uh, allow text chat with guests after a, a short delay but you're most welcome we there will be spoilers we're talking about Doctor Who Face the Raven but there are spoilers if you haven't seen it uh, I just want to do a, a sound check to see if uh, Darth uh, audio is working he's he's been muted well self-muted I think uh, Darth can you just give us a an acknowledgement that your audio is working please before I play the next clip He's not in tech oh, chat, so I, Ah, brilliant. There we are. Excellent. Um, I've got another clip to play, and if you'd be so kind, uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the episode afterwards. Here we go. What is it? In your terms, my last will and testament. How does it work? I have no idea. Well, thank you anyway. Booty, your neck. Oh. What are you playing at? The chronologue? Take the teleport off him first. Look, I don't have it, I'm telling you. Clara does. No. No, you didn't. Go on, then. Take it off. Clara, you didn't! 
had no idea she'd do something so stupid. I swear, I never meant for anyone to get hurt. But what were you thinking? Sacrificing yourself? I wasn't sacrificing anything. Strategy! Backup plan to buy us more time. Who told you to go to her? Nobody did. I did. Rump said. What exactly did Rump say? He said the death is locked in. You can pass it on, but... But you can't cheat it altogether. Two things before I started it's one. I could you'd hear the heartbeat underlying that to your drama and almost a musical um you know uh, uh the thingy bell, uh almost a musical effect there of the cloister bell going on in the musical theme there. But anyway, uh, Darth, I'd like to hear what you think. Well, I think that um a lot of people would agree that the golden age of Doctor Who is sort of the Philip Hinchcliffe era. And as we know, or at least as those who study the older series know, the Hinchcliffe era was famous for taking literary tropes and then sort of turning them on their head. And I think that this episode does a lot of that and does it very successfully. Um, you you could if you wanted to, and I think that certainly the trailer for this episode invites you to believe that this street is uh, diagonally, right? That it is taken from um, Harry Potter. But I think that only is really in the art direction. It's not in the actual substance, meaning of the street. I think that this episode actually owes itself to two things. One of them is quite clearly The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, there's a lot of similarity between Edgar Allan Poe's Raven and this Raven. Um, in that, you know, largely the the, the, the Raven, the Poe Raven, is about um, a guy who has lost his lover called Lenore. Um, and this this Raven shows up and just sort of sits on the statue that's in his house. And as he sort of talks to the raven, the raven's been taught one word, or we assume that the raven's been taught this one word, mm-hmm. never more, which happens to rhyme, you know, in this very complex rhyming structure that Poe has let out. And increasingly, as he talks to this character about, uh, or this, 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 ro- uh, this raven, um, he gets more and more desperate and his soul becomes darker and darker until the thing that is nevermore is the lifting of his soul. And really, that's what gradually happens to the doctor. And I think that all that business at the end where where Clara is you know, telling him, don't descend into what you could descend into, is very evocative to me of the, the Poe poem. And another thing that's really interesting, too, is the Poe poem refers to an ancient... Um, version of what we would call retcon, what this episode calls retcon. You know, he's he's casting around, looking for this um, thing, this this uh, potion that will make him forget the, the horror that's happening. And, of course, they make a big point of, you know, retcon is involved here, and you're going to be retconned whether you want to or not. And we, the jury's still out on that, right? I mean, if this... If this uh, 
time travel device that's on his wrist works like you know the time rings of season 12, uh, then we could well imagine that he will come back to this place and that maybe he will get retconned, uh, just as was promised to begin with. But it's interesting that that is, um, you know, in the mix here, um, that, you know, the nature of forgetting the horrors that have gone on is in the mix. And and also, it's interesting, very interesting to me, how they finally film Clara, because that is from The Raven as well. There's a little description of, you know, Lenore on the floor and and his own soul too on the floor like that and the camera sort of pulling back. You, I mean, it feels like something from the Raven. Um, and, and also, you know, the silent sort of presence of the the Raven itself in this episode is very like um, how the the Raven is depicted within the Raven. Um, so it, I, I that literary illusion really fascinating to me. I, I I want to believe that that's where it actually came from, the the inspiration for a lot of this episode. I'd love to believe that there's some Poe that's mixed in there. And, you know, we have evidence from um, the audio play, Nevermore, that Edgar Allan Poe does have a reasonable enough presence in the British mindset um, that it could well have been in, included here by purpose. Uh, but if it's not my purpose, then it is the most wonderful of accidents, I think. I think, though, that another thing that is flowing through here is the 2013 movie called Trap Street. Um, and the reason why, you know, maybe maybe this is me just making it up, but I really think it's possible that our writer here, whose name I've now forgotten, but is our second female writer for the season, um, I, I really think it's entirely possible that she saw this movie, Trap Street, because it was well celebrated in in film circles in 2013, and it 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 creates this, you know, as was explained in the episode, and this is another you know great instance of um, Doctor Who having an actual educational value, as it was always meant to do. You know, a real Trap Street is this thing for copyright purposes you build in a fault street onto your map and if it shows up on somebody else's map then you can sue them um so you are doing you are changing the the image of the uh environs that you are uh mapping out and that's what a, a real trap or that's what a trap street in the real world genuinely is but in the movie trap street and here in this episode a trap street is something that has a changed reality once you find it, right? It's all about, um, okay, you've discovered this, this secret place, and then the reality that you discovered there is different than you imagine it to be. So in this case, you know, all these various alien races look more or less like humans, you know, unless you pinch yourself or do whatever it is that you need to do to shock yourself out of the... Um, this yet another iteration of the, uh, oh, what do we call this circuit? The um, sound of drum circuit. What the hell it is? Um, the uh, perception filter, right? Uh, this yeah. is yet uh, this is yet another iteration of a perception filter, um, and um, it, I, you know, it, its usage is very similar, very, very, very similar to in in this movie that did go through, you know. BAFTA uh, uh, went through London in 2013, and you can imagine that 
you know, people who are in the film business would have certainly seen it and probably taken great notice of it because it's a brilliant film, right? Um, but, you know, I don't fault Doctor Who for that because that, I think that's great. I think that's what it's done in its heydays in the Hinchcliffe years. And I think that the blending here of the Raven, Edgar Allan Poe's Raven, and this movie Trap Street into something new and then adding on to it um, to include Clara's death, that's all pretty brilliant stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a very successful um, adaptation and, and melding of different ideas. Um, so, and, and in the best tradition of Doctor Who, so that's all good. Um, there, there are niggles, of course, that have not not really anything Jeff brought up. I mean, it's part one of a three-part story. What are we wanting answers for now? I mean, that's ridiculous to even bring that up. I think at this point we're too far from the end of the story. Um, but, you know, I've got niggles that are, are equally ridiculous, like, for instance, Briggsley lives in Bristol, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, that was one of the wonderful things about um, Flatline was that it was explicitly set in Bristol, and so I thought he lived there. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was just doing his time in Bristol, but actually was from London. I don't know. I mean, it, it, maybe he could have moved in the intervening time. But the thing is, even that's, if you can explain it... Well, sorry, go ahead. That That's how I took it. He just moved. He he got married and had, yeah. a, had a baby, and they moved into London. Yeah, but that's disappointing, too, because... Um, you know, if any city, to my mind, if any city in Britain could have these, you know, mysterious alleyways, it's Bristol. And so why not film in downtown Bristol? I think that would be much more interesting. And not only that, but probably cheaper, right? All they had to do is cross the Severn Bridge, and there they are. You know, they can film right in Bristol. That's why they use Bristol in the first place, because it's the closest English city to Cardiff, really. Um, so I don't know. About I, water, joke about Waterloo. Right. Right. Um, I, well, I don't know. But, I mean, it just would have been more interesting to me if they just said, yeah, he's still in Bristol. Why Why even go to London again? That's, to me, that was entirely boring. Um, except that, I suppose, you know, it allowed them to go to the British Museum and therefore go to the, you know, best map resource in the world. Um, you know, I guess that makes some sense, but whatever. I, I, I very much enjoy that one story was explicitly set in Bristol and would have enjoyed seeing Bristol again. Um, I, you know, I think if you, you can examine the story in two different ways. One is how does the story work on its own and how does the story work as the end of Clara? And as a story on its own, I think it works pretty well in that there's a sort of, inevitable sense of doom. It's even, you know, going all the way back to the pre-title sequence, as soon as the phone rings, all of a sudden the music really changes to an extent that is not particularly sensible. I mean, there's nothing to indicate why the ringing of the phone on the TARDIS would be so doom-engendering. Uh, it, it looks like that that phone has rung before or so. But it yeah, wasn't Clara's phone ringing. that was ringing. It wasn't Clara's phone that was ringing. I suppose that was the point mm, you were making. I, I guess, but I mean, when this, when the same console phone rang in, say, uh, the Big Bang at the end of the Big Bang, it's not like the doctor reacts to it with dread. He just picks up the phone and says, "Hey, what's going uh -huh. on?" Or whenever, 
you know, rings at the end of uh, Victory of the Daleks. No, not Victory of the Daleks, Beast Below. And it's Winston Churchill, you know, casually the phone is picked up and, you know, Amy oh, can't you, believe it's... You, you know, love quoting the Beast Below, don't you? It must be your favorite. Well, it's, it's the only <laughs> part of Beast Below that's any good, you know, so... Dark's uh, favorite story. Yeah, I know. But, I mean... It doesn't make any sense, particularly that the ringing of the phone would bring such dread, but the movie, but the music certainly underscores that point. And from that moment forward, there is sort of an inevitability to what's going to happen. And I, I you know, I didn't find any particular logical problems with how it developed. In fact, it was just sort of, to me, each, you know, like a frog that is in water that's cold, and you turn on the heat, and then gradually. You know, the frog boils because it hasn't gotten out of the water because it's just been so gradually heated up that eventually it's too late to get out of the water. And that's what the episode felt like. And so, therefore, I thought it was, you know, perfectly paced. I, I didn't find any particularly particular logical problems with any of the contract because we don't know what the contract is yet. You know, I mean, we, that that sort of is more or less the explicit point of what's going to happen in the next episode or maybe the next episode after that as the doctor discovers why he didn't get any answers out of. The shielder, you know, why? Why does he, he clearly asked for them? He's like they who, and she never really answers him. Um, so we don't really know what every aspect of that contract was all about yet. So he he's very clearly trying to find out who killed Clara, because he doesn't. Although he gives a warning to a shielder, he doesn't really believe that she's directly responsible for it. It's whoever has her in a death grip. Is who's responsible for it? So there's a, there is this nice inevitability about the death of Clara because things that you you know that she thinks are are perfectly reasonable assumptions, like she has the power inherent in the protection of a shielder, and then she finds out later, oh, wait a minute, that power that that protection is not forthcoming to me. I am in fact now going to die. You know how how we go from point A to point B seems logical, and she's making all these assumptions, like she said, as the doctor would. But she just comes out on the short end of the stick, and that sort of works with the rest of the series in that there are a number of cases where you know she seems to be close to death, and yet she's not because the doctor works his magic, and they're off to the races. And this is the same thing, you know, from last week. One of the key things was, you know. Am I go- I'm going to get out of this, right, Doctor? You're going to fix this problem with the Sandman, and he's like, yes, but he doesn't. You know, he is increasingly throughout the. Uh, I think increasingly throughout the series, he is unable to say that the answer is yes. Um, and last week, he really didn't have anything to do with her successfully retreating from uh, the enemy. It was just that the enemy was misleading as to what was causing the threat. Um, so he did nothing actually last week to get her out. And then this week, you know, he is completely unable to help her at all. And she dies. And, you know, that's an interesting way to go, uh, with a companion. It certainly feels better than Adric's death. That's not saying a whole lot, but I mean, it it really, it's, it, it, it seems as though this is a death more along the lines of Katrina, actually. This is really reaching back to an episode we don't really even have all of it, but we do have the death scene, I think. Um, you know, where she voluntarily hits a button and 
pulls an enemy out into space with her, and she dies, but protects the doctor in doing so. Um, and it's it's as noble as that, at least. Um, I think it basically will hold. I mean, that's not really with any particular knowledge of the next two episodes, but I, I think I would be very disappointed if it doesn't hold because they went out of their way to put every layer of icing onto the cake, as you said, um, Jeff. You know, they really built up what that in-death scene was. You know, including, you know, you didn't just think that there was slow-mo. There was slow-mo. Um, you know, so it did take quite a bit of time. It did try to wring every tear out of you that you could get um, and uh, or that they could get. And so if it turns out somehow it's a fake-out, um, I, I think that will be disappointing. I can't, I mean, I, I personally can't envisage a way in which they could sort of kind of bring her back and it would be okay that she's dead. Um, it would take a lot of the power out of it. It would, it would, it but, would spoil it. It would spoil it. But I think there is. Because I, I think they make the point of saying that it's the soul that has been bargained, not the death. The 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 the, the price to pay is not her death. The price to pay is her soul. So her soul right. is taken out of her body. Therefore, uh, why do you take it out of your body unless you take it somewhere or do something with it? Absolutely, and I think I mean that. Right, and that and that's another thing that I think ties directly back in to pose the raven because that's that's exactly the last stanza really of uh the raven is the fact that this guy you know the, the soul is not ever you know is not ever going to rise again yeah, yeah so um yeah i think i think that's pretty good but now the broader question to me is how does this fit into the the character of Clara and i think there's some ways in which it's it's really clever, and there's some ways in which it's really not. And I I don't think that this I think this is again just like the um, the handling of the Amy Roy Eleventh Doctor love triangle, something that's very much stated to be true or just true in a couple of episodes, but not really consistently developed. And I think that in this season, you know, we have been told in numerous interviews that what we're going to see is the exciting, fun, adventurous relationship of Clara and the Doctor. And what we've actually gotten is a few little hints at the beginnings of episodes that they've just gotten off of one or more adventures that are really fun. But the actual adventures that we see, by and large, don't really convince us that you know they're having this time-of-your-life kind of thing or that they're having too much fun. And that, therefore, the inevitable outcome has to be that she dies. In some ways, it feels like an episode that is more successful as an episode than as something that is a, a part of an integrated whole about the character. And I, I, another thing that is, you know, at once clever but annoying is that in, it, it doesn't, I still don't think we've had a really good join between the 11th Doctor version of Clara and the 12th Doctor version of Clara in that, you know... It feels as though the impossible girl's tale ends at name of the doctor, and we just don't do anything with it after that. Not much. Um, and I would have liked to have seen some kind of ending, and maybe we'll still get it, uh, in which the splinters of Clara are in some way referred to again, or, uh, you know, 
that we get some sort of tie up for that so that you know there's this there's a sense that the impossible girl is somehow related to this girl that is now giving orders to the doctor, this girl that is now the emotional anchor for the doctor. Uh, because the two characters really don't feel like the same character. Now, having said that, one of the things that I think is subtly clever about this episode is that, um, you know, in Name of the Doctor, we're led to believe that the splinters of Clara went back through time in order to reunify the Doctor's own timeline, more or less. Um, and therefore that Clara must have seen the Doctor and indeed were shown that she saw the Doctor at every aspect of his life and probably acted in certain situations to help him overcome things from a distance, maybe. Um, but in some way, you know, she's integral to him surviving as a gestalt character, really. I think what is one way that you can read this episode is that she's not, she's not killed by a shoulder, really. She's not killed exactly to save Rigsy. I mean, that's a part of it. But what she actually gets killed for is the protection of the Doctor's greatest enemies. If you think about what's going on here, uh, as, as has been said before, this is an allegory really for Syrian refugees. I mean, that's how I would take it right now. Maybe I would just take it as general refugees at some future date. But for right now, let's say they're Syrian refugees, kind of. Or let's say that they're Syrian, Chechen, I don't know, refugees of all of our worst enemies, really. Then what she gets killed for is to protect order at the refugee camp. I mean, she's she's taking the place of Wrigley, right? Yep. So um, she is killed to essentially save members of species who are the doctor's greatest enemies, which is, I think, in some ways quite consonant with um, what happens in the name of the doctor, what her role is there, where she's, you know, to save the doctor. Here she's to save the doctor's enemies. And it's, that is sort of a neat bookend, if you really think deeply about it. Um, but Again, as to whether that makes it a completely satisfactory ending for this character, no, but I suppose we have two more episodes in which, you know, we can throw some more light and shade onto what's actually happened here because we still don't know what the contract was. Like, if it turns out that the people who are giving the contract are the Time Lords, and this leads the Doctor back to the Time Lords, because after all, we have something that looks very much like a Time Ring from Genesis of the Daleks. Um, then that could be okay, you know, because it's one more, you know, time in which she is doing something that is really big for the doctor. But I kind of think, you know, if if all it is is being noble in order to sacrifice herself for this guy, she really doesn't know. I mean, we assume Briggsy, you know, last time they met was in Flatline. He, he offered it, to die on that train. She was the one that, yeah, he was going to drive that train and smash these things. And she said, well, you don't need to give your life. Um, she was the restraining person in that that case. Uh, but he had shown that he was prepared to 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 give up his life for 
you know, to 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 kill in, in yeah, the yeah, plot yeah. line. Yeah, and absolutely. And then was a point that I was just going to make actually is that right. you know if you analyze the episode from Riggsy's point of view, which is you know certainly possible to do, um, it's it's fascinating actually. That part of it works really well because not only is there this echo you say uh, you you've mentioned about who's saving whose life and all that. But you also have the fact that he is, we meet him being punished for his graffiti, but then you get that lovely little scene at the very end, you know, of the credits even, where he is putting graffiti onto the TARDIS, right, in memory of Clara. Which I thought was just great. I mean, in terms of wrapping up the Riggsy character, and, and nobody's really talked about his acting. I think that maybe not on this show, but on other Doctor Who podcasts, I think that his acting from Flatline was in some corners kind of criticized. But I think here, he really does add to the entirety of the mix and ramps up the horror and actually helps to, you know, deliver the impact of the final scene, right? Um, I think it's all. Quite Except that that was slightly fluffed, I thought, because they, see, mm-hmm. they show his face reacting to Clara's death, but he's clearly stand, still standing at the stairs inside the room where the doctors come out of the room to the doorway. He can see he has line of sight on, on Clara, but where he is, when they show his expression of horror, he's not actually seeing her dying because uh, he's still at the staircase. Unless he's perhaps viewing through the window, but it it, it wasn't clear. No, I don't. I don't know that we're talking about the same things. I'm talking about generally his acting. Oh, oh, generally, uh, it was. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. And I think I think it was quite good in this episode, and that he actually added to the you know ultimate uh, delivery of horror that happens at the end. Right. However, uh, the 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 broader thing that I want to say about this episode is as an illustration of how much it sucks to be spoiled in Doctor Who. <laughs> and to and to be and to be spoiled by official things, right? It, it, I mean there are so many flashbacks here to season one, right? I said it at the time in week one. Knowing that Clara is going to leave the show, or that, that Jenna Coleman is going to leave the show, ultimately is not a good thing. You don't want to say that 12 weeks out. Now, I know that, I bet that the calculation here was, all right, we know that she's actually going in episode 10, so therefore we're still going to get a little bit of a surprise out of this thing. Um, so it doesn't hurt to reveal that she's going, but I, you know, bullshit. I mean, you just got to call bullshit on that. Because as you watch this episode, as soon as she takes that death mark, if you aren't in the if you yeah, if you aren't in the back of your mind saying, "Wait a minute, that's it. That's the thing." Then you're not paying attention. I mean, you're really not. Of course that's what she's going out. And therefore, that that creates the phenomenon that Jeff I think has experienced of saying, "Oh, this just takes so long at the end for her to die because in the back of your mind, you know, this is where she's going out, right? And it's the same thing with End of Time, part two. You know, if you know that that's where he's going out, then you, if you 
especially if you're kind of on the fence about David Tennant, or even you know even slightly annoyed with him at that time, then you're going to be like, I hate this. This is taking so long. And I think this is one of the things that is you know an ongoing part of why it is that to this day every single episode of Radio Free Scarrow mentions the end of time as a terrible episode, and it's because <laughs> it. The, the death was spoiled. The regeneration was absolutely spoiled. I mean, in that case, you know, it was spoiled by more than a year and a quarter. Um, here, it's spoiled by, you know, whatever, uh, 10 weeks. And I just think it's so stupid. I really don't understand this thing of, well, it's probably going to get out anyway, so let's um, let's get ahead of the news cycle and own up to the fact that she's leaving, but our surprise is going to be where she's going to leave because it ruins the one episode where she's going to leave. You know, any kind of tension is is gone because it's 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 the reverse of what happens with the character generally of the Doctor. You know that generally the Doctor is going to survive, and so therefore, and therefore, like season six is in some ways unsuccessful to people because it posits something that cannot be. It posits the actual death of the Doctor in episode one. And you know that can't be true. Because you know at that point, hey, wait a minute, haven't they already contracted to make season seven? Oh, yeah, they have. So this can't be the death of the Doctor. So therefore, this whole thing is a trick. And if you know it's a trick or you know what's coming, your enjoyment is entirely lessened, right? So I think that this is, you know, from a uh, sort of out-of-universe perspective, this this episode is an object lesson in the perils of marketing because uh, the the way this thing's marketed just really uh, spoiled the ending. But again, as a as an episode in and of itself, if you can divorce yourself from all that and just look at the structure of the episode, I think it's paced pretty damn well. I think that this is an episode that has a lot of great dialogue in it, has a lot of great moments in it. Um, it did not make me particularly cry, and again, one of the reasons was I knew she's going right, and I've been waiting for her to go. In fact, she's going a little bit too late for me, um, just because I don't think anybody who says I'm leaving deserves to be on the show for ten more episodes. I mean, that's dumb. Um, so, whatever. Uh, but nevertheless, as, a, as an episode, it's great. I mean, as just an episode, I would say give it a five. Why not? Because the structure is there. Um, the acting is largely faultless, um, and the concepts, even though they are derivative, are mixed together in a way that is great, you know, and, and it forms a new product. Um, as a continuation of the the drama of this character, you know, it's probably not as successful as that. It's probably only a three, um, you know, and certainly on the scale of if this really turns out to be the last material, the latest, let's say, um, instance of this character, and that what we get in the next two episodes, well, I guess, the, well, what we get left in the season, let's say, is only, um, you know, flashback or whatever, then I think that this is like a two. I mean, it's a, it's not a very satisfying in to this character who, in her time completely reversed the ending of the Time War. I mean, this is a major character in the history of the Doctor Who universe. And for her to go out saving this really minor character is uh, like unsatisfying to me. 
you know, yeah, unless <laughs> unless unless it leads to a a greater victory for the Doctor, which is possible. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in eleven and twelve, and as we figure out who put the contract in place here, then it could be a bigger thing. You know, if it leads to a big showdown with the Master, if it leads to the Time Lords, you know, finding Gallifrey or something really big, then you know we can look at it as a bigger event and as something that is, is more worthy of the character. But for right now, it looks completely trivial. Well, yeah, I mean, she died for a contrived, maybe not even a murder. It may have been even an accident this woman died. But, of course, she, oh, she died. Well, no, she, no, I mean, it is contrived because it has nothing yeah. to do with the murder. That whole thing, I mean, nobody died. There was no murder. Yeah, right? she, yeah, yeah she was in the States. She came back yeah. to life. Yeah, she's insane. Yeah. No, it, she, she died in order to, you know, trap the doctor. Yeah, to reel him in. Yeah, which is which is actually, uh, you know, uh, that is actually another part of the satisfying nature of the episode, in that she's the trap, or, or you know, the doctor was trapped on a trap street. You know what I mean? Like it's a literal uh. trap street, and so that uh, adds something, you know. Interesting, I suppose, to the, the episode itself. So it's a very weird episode because it's satisfying in so many ways on, on on its own, but within the larger body of Dashu you know, literature, it it feels very slight uh, for such an important character to go out like this. All right, let me let me play another clip and then uh, give you a moment to see if you want to add any more. Uh, we I, I did ask Jeff if there was anything. To, uh, to read out, but I don't think there's that much at the moment, but I have got some things to read out from the Colton page, but uh, let's play another clip. But you can't. Fix it now. It's not possible. I, I can't. Yes, it is. You can, and you will, or this street will be over. I'll show you and all your fun little friends to the whole laughing world. I'll bring the unit, I'll bring the Zygons. Give me a minute, I'll bring the Daleks and the Cybermen. You will save Clara, and you will do it now, or I will rain hell on you for the rest of time. Don't stop talking like that. You can't. I can do whatever the hell I like. You've read the stories. You know who I am. And in all of that time, did you ever hear anything about anyone who stopped me? I know the doctor. The doctor is no longer here. You are stuck with me. And I will end you with everything you love. Doctor, for God's sake, will you stop? No! I did this. Do you hear me? I did this. This is my fault. I don't care. Liar. You always care. Always have. Your reign of terror will end with the sight of the first crying child, and you know it. No, I don't. Okay. um, Sorry about that. Uh, Let me just read a few things from... um, Facebook page, and uh, then I'll play another clip, and uh, and then I'll have a few words to say. Um, Jeff Wattle, uh, there will undoubtedly be people who love this episode. It wasn't bad, but for me, Maisie Williams is an awful actress. At least in this show, uh, I mean, at least in this show. Uh, that's three episodes now that uh, she was as wooden as hell. Oh, heck. Um, Ian says, uh, I have to agree with you about Maisie Williams. Doctor Who is all I've seen her in, but I'm not impressed with her. David Gallagher, she's awful. People think because uh, they like the idea of Arya, uh, Arya Stark, that they like her as an actress, when in truth, she's um, awful. Oh, dear me, sorry about all that. Uh, Colin Hicks, 
Admittedly, I was distracted by work when viewing this, but it was so much better than last week's, which in itself did improve on second viewing. I did not notice Maisie Williams acting, our lack of which uh, means I was more gripped by the plot. Um, and Kenneth, who's been on here, has had his say mainly about tears. Thought Maisie's show, uh, Maisie was fine, showing a good sense of maturity in mystery. Colin Hicks, well, my spoiler was that Capaldi said that this was Jana's last episode. This was on the Graham Norton show on the uh, Friday night. But as always, I'm suspicious when we are left with a dead companion at the end of an episode. If, though, this is the end of Clara, then it will set precedence for the new series. Uh, and Dean Rainford, uh, it was better the, this week. The current run of episodes are proving to be very uneven in quality, unlike the classic series, which was mostly excellent, with only one or two minor dips. Everything seems to be inspired by Harry Potter <laughs> at present. So I will, yeah, I know, but uh, Harry Potter at present, so it will be interesting to see what happens next week. And some of those people have put longer thoughts there. So if you, on Facebook, check out um, the, the group there and um, let's just play a clip and then I'll just say a few words. I might stop this a little bit early. You're going to be furious, and you're going to be sad. But listen to me. Don't let this change you. No, listen. Whatever happens next, wherever she is sending you, I know what you're capable of. You don't be a warrior. Promise me. Be a doctor. What's the point of being a doctor if I can't cure you? Heal yourself. You have to. You can't let this turn you into a monster, so... I'm not asking you for a promise. I'm giving you an order. You will not insult my memory. There will be no revenge. I will die, and no one else here or anywhere will suffer. And I'm going to stop it there. Um, okay, well, uh, a few thoughts on my part. Uh, I agree with all the... Uh, the, the homages, our derivations, or whatever. And I'd like to add one more. If anybody here has read uh, Neil Gaiman's book, uh, Neverwhere, about uh, Under London and so on, uh, and there we have the mayor uh, and the various elements. I, I thought there was a little bit of Neil Gaiman influence going uh, under this. Um, liked um, the, the idea of the street. I think the street was just enough different from Harry Potter to be not a, a, a rip-off, as it were. Uh, worms, um, a little bit of a, a riff on the memory worms that we've had maybe in some point. Um, the, uh, the, the, the race where they could um, both see uh, into the future, into the past, uh, aptly named uh, Janus. Uh, of course, Janus with two faces, so I thought that was interesting. Um, um, I'm not too sure about the shade, whether the shade was the raven or the raven was their, their implement of death, as it might mean. Because um, on one of the um, killings, the, the one that turned out to be the Cyberman, the actual uh, uh, markings come off me, off, off mare me, and the raven also uh, changes into this smoke creature. But uh, on the second one where... Um, Clara is the one 
whose uh, soul is being taken, our death is being happened, uh, it doesn't come off her. Now, that may be a reference to the fact that this the contract's not with her. You've taken me out of the contract. Therefore, the raven went directly to Clara, and which is the reason why, I know Jeff had a bit of an issue with this, but why uh, the mayor couldn't um, pull it back, because it wasn't for her. When the first man died, after he died, the markings came back onto the mare. They left her and came back onto her. But in this case, the, the markings didn't come off her. She wasn't in control of it. It was directly this raven-like creature uh, that, that that did it. I've already mentioned I like the fact that uh, the Jadu was the police. But what was the, that about the, the, the very angry one, uh, man sitting at the bar, the bald-headed one, uh, he stood up, very, very tall man. And what was he in disguise as? He was a Santaran. If I thought that Santaran, and he's this great big six foot four, massive man. I don't know whether that was part of his camouflage or what, but it seemed a little bit uh, strange. Uh, I liked some of the other actors as well. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned, uh, but is it Simon Paisley Day who played Rump? thought he was an extremely believable and menacing character. And I absolutely believed him when the doctor asked him, you know, would you let this man die just to keep peace and, and protect you? He said, yeah, of course I would, in a heartbeat. Uh, and to me that seemed a, a very lightly outcome and a thought. Um, what else? Um, I hadn't realised that this was part one of a three-part story. I thought this was self-contained. Uh, there was going to be some element of, remember, I incorrectly mentioned uh, that, um, you know, Clara still got this, this sand in her eyes, but as I was corrected quite rightly, uh, all that was in a way a diversion from the actual message uh, of that last episode being in the electronic signal uh, and the actual fact that um, you know there was we were seeing through Clara's eyes didn't mean that she'd been infected in any way. I I think Clara is one of the best act, female, well, one of the best actresses we've had on Doctor Ever. I think she's um, on a par with uh, Kerry Mulligan, who played uh, Sari Sparrow. So that's about as high a praise as I can give to any uh, actor or actress on this show. Uh, so I'm very sad that she's going, but I do feel as though it is time for her to go. I, did, I am glad that she's had some stories where she's not been the impossible girl and I, I agree with Darth there is this mismatch of uh, you know what does she does she carry any of those other live streams in her um or is this because her life is now moving forward after all that is she only now a self-contained version of Clara of course Clara can come back in any future story and one of the other things is because we've seen her uh, guarding the other doctors through their different time streams, one could argue that we could see Clara at any age in her life uh, because she, in some of her uh, impossible girl scenarios, she may have lived long lives. Of no, we was dispatched. That was a horrifying and very um, surprising death and had a very great impact when you remember she was just given the key to the TARDIS where the TARDIS is up in the clouds, and then she's grabbed by the uh, the, the the frozen creature and pulled it and, and, and fell to her death. I mean, that had a, a fantastic impact because it was totally unexpected. Um, and um, 
uh, there, I think, is an illustration of uh, having lost the effect by the fact that we know this actress is moving on. I think it was perhaps out of their hands somewhat because there were announcements going on the fact that she landed this role as Queen Victoria, a major role in, in another costume drama. So that may have forced the hands somewhat. And I certainly feel as though um, it could have been handled better on the Graham Norton show. He uh, was a little bit uh, caught off guard, was Peter Capaldi, by Graham Norton. And uh, I don't think that served a lot of people too well. I'll say a few more things, hopefully, when we get round to doing the... Uh, commentary later but um all in all uh, as a standalone episode uh, i think her death could have been on a bigger scale but um you know uh, i've seen a number of uh certainly uh, i think back to um highlander and a few things like that where you have this person who's a mastery of um you know challenges and fights and duels to survive everything and they end up being killed by somebody stabbing in the back uh, Maybe it's some woman that they've affronted at some point, and all their skills, all their artistry has meant naught when they've been caught off guard. Um, but oh, the acting was brilliant. Uh, Peter Capaldi was returning the favour of being the foil uh, for Clara's uh, noble speech. Um, I, I, I think it was right. Ian and a few others perhaps thought um, that. Um, she was overdue to go, but um, for me, I think the timing was just right, and I I hope they don't use this idea that it was a soul that was taken, rather than she's died outright. I hope they don't use that as a, some sort of um, thing to um, search for spot know, to, reunion uh, of the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want her to die, but I don't want it to be you know, dragged through things. Let me... Um, yeah, wait, hold on. Uh, you, you said it was the perfect time for her to go, but I, I want to explore that a little bit with you, Dave. Do you think that this, assuming that, you know, she's dead, right, permanently dead, which right. I think is a safe assumption, do you think that this is a better way for her to go out than that last scene of Death and Hell? Ah. Uh. I don't know, but all I do know is I wanted her to be an ordinary girl that enjoyed travelling with the Doctor. Now, they have signalled in the last three or four stories how she's increasingly become more and more reckless. The Doctor's asked to hold her hand, and she says, I'm not afraid, and the Doctor says, I'm afraid. And there's other things where she's charged in. She charged in with the, 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 the Vikings. Some people said, why did they have that little cold opening with Clara in a spaceship in space? which was brilliant in its own right, but it also meant that she was wearing a spacesuit so she could demonstrate, uh, you know, that she was not of that time. Uh, and she she uh, has, well, uh, Mike's <laughs> watching, well, listening to it, but the point is that, like Mike, was the fact that she'd almost been given doctor-like uh, attributes uh, and mm. was becoming far more important, almost eclipsing the doctor at some stage. Uh, so, no, I, I think this was a fitting death, maybe not the most appropriate, but I am glad that she had these journeys, that she'd moved on from the Danny Pink character. Uh, she at least acknowledges Danny Pink here as well, by realising that 
she wants to be the doctor to be proud of her and she wants to be able to face death as he had done um so perhaps the, the, it's the sentiment maybe the sentiments were right rather than the timing yeah i wonder because uh, you know <laughs> it seems to me like the that moffat has written in at least four or five leaving scenes but only gotten two to stick and right you know uh i don't know for me whether you know the best one is closing time or well i think we can pretty much all agree that the worst one is amy and rory actually leaving in in um, the angel one the angel one because that's just a ridiculous reason you know as it's it's one of the things that i agree with mike on you know about poor writing in the, in the moffat era it's one of the few things actually i should say that i agree with but it you know Not that, that ending, it is ridiculous that ending so that's a terrible one um or you know the um, death in heaven, or this one, or last Christmas would also be like a potential leaving scene because we know that it. In fact, we know from Doctor Who magazine, so officially now I suppose we know that he Moffat intended to write her out there, but she at the last minute said, "No, I want to come back for another year." So, you know, to me, I don't know where this ranks in the five leaving scenes that he wrote, but it's. Probably not number one. No, it's not number one. The best one is, for me, it, it is Death in Heaven. Like, it should have ended on the note of them saying that they weren't going to lie to each other, but then they actually were lying to each other. You know? And that sort of ambiguous ending of, it's just time to go. <laughs> you know? That was, to me, the best one. And, and this still feels like what has become a Moffat tradition of, you know having a second go round at, at killing off character or getting rid of a character. Um, so I, I don't know if I can agree with you. That's the perfect timing or anything like that. It's, it's effective. Maybe, in maybe not. Maybe that was a bad choice of words, but, uh, um, so it, it was a satisfactory ending for me. Um, and, uh, so superbly acted. Um, so that probably mm-hmm. added to it. Uh, let me, we're running a little bit short of time now because, um, just to remind those people in the room that, uh, Podshock is uh, just gone live, uh, and that's call ID two double three five eight. I'm going to play another clip, and then I'm going to ask uh, Jeff if he will read not a lot of uh, ratings. Uh, I'm going to give, by the way, a five out of five for the acting of this, four out of five for the story. But uh, let me play a, a clip and then give Jeff some uh, time. Don't run.
right, wipe Ken up off the floor and uh, see if uh, Jeff can read anything for us. Uh, yes. Uh, well, we have um, syn symbiosis in text chat say that uh, it's got to be only Missy can open it, speaking of the confession dial. So she thinks it's, uh, symbiosis thinks it's Missy. Uh, Will's girl joined us and wishing Dave a happy birthday. So again, happy birthday to Dave. Cybob uh, says, give it a five out of five. It was a great episode, very sad, but great acting by Capaldi and Coleman. And Symbiosis gives a rating of four out of five for this episode. Was really hooked and weirdly didn't see this being Clara's death episode. Though I, uh, I do feel that Clara's death was a bit prolonged, Symbiosis says. So there you have it. That's what we have in the text chat. Okay, let's uh, play the final clip for this then. I'm sorry, Doctor. I truly am. What Clara said, I'm not taking revenge. Do you know why she said that? She was saving you. I was lost a long time ago. She was saving you. do my best, but I strongly advise you to keep out of my way. You'll find that it's a very small universe when I'm angry with you. Well, um, we've really got to wrap up now, folks. Uh, uh, thank you for all the contributions. Not had many people on audio, but we've uh, we've covered it. Uh, Ian makes his apologies for not being here, but uh, you'll hear his thoughts uh, on the upcoming commentary, which we hope you'll take time out to listen to. Remember, you may need to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, our catches on cutthem.com. Or again, as always, uh, we have cult them as our Twitter feed. I want to thank Jeff for helping me out on not too heavy duties today, but um, thank you nonetheless, Jeff, for doing that. My pleasure, Dave. Okay. Um, with that, what I'm going to do is um, thank everybody in the room, uh, Ken and Darth, uh, Rick Wall, who's dropped off, and Mike. Lovely to have Mike on. And all the other people, uh, Cy, Bob, Oshi, um uh, guest 10, 9, 8, uh, Eddie and uh, Rick Wall, of course, and all those that came in. What I'm going to do is play the uh, next time clip and the outro uh, to wrap us up. So uh, those of you who are listening live, you may want to pop straight over to Podshop 23358. Thank you, everyone. And uh, as I say, look out for us being back next week, episode 301, Doctor Who Heaven Sent, episode 11. That's Sunday, the 29th of November. And boy, is this series going quick. So, bye, everyone. 
And uh, here we go with the next time clip. Tune out if you don't uh, hear it. This whole place is designed to terrify me. I know you. I've seen you before. If you were any part of killing her, you're not afraid. And you understand nothing at all. I am the doctor. I'm coming to find you. And I will never, ever stop. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.